Wanted. It's based on a book by John Ortberg where John is talking about the spiritual disciplines that we can use to help us train ourselves to live out the life that Jesus died so we could live. Uh, we are called citizens of the kingdom. We are not supposed to live like everybody else. You and I, our lives should be marked. We should be different. And there, there's a, a difference that we're going to talk about. A lot of times we talk about being worldly. Um, and we talk about um, we don't want to be like the world. But I don't want us to think of worldly, because when I was growing up, worldly meant movies you watched or music you listened to or clothes you wore or whether you smoked or drank or chewed or whether you did those worldly things. But the world worldly, worldly could include some of those behaviors, but it really is talking about earthly, human behaviors. So our normal human reactions, like we do it all the time when we're like, well, I just have a temper because I'm Irish. <laughs> That's earthly. We are no longer Irish. We're citizens of the kingdom. Now you can still be Irish second, okay? Or you can be American second, but we are citizens of the kingdom. So we don't act like citizens of the earth. We don't act human. We act transformed. And that's been the point all along, morphing working the salvation that's been done in us from the inside out. And so we have talked about the different disciplines as we've gone from November through June. And now we're talking about the well-ordered heart. Okay, the well-ordered heart. That's been our, our conversation through the month of July. And then we're going to be switching. Next week, we're going to start the life of endurance. The life of endurance. And the, the subtitle of that chapter is called The Experience of Suffering. I know, we're all so excited. Praise the Lord. We say, I was waiting for, to get to the chapter on suffering. Hallelujah. Um, but that's how endurance is worked out in our lives. And you're going to see that because today I've entitled the message, A Man After God's Heart. A, a person after God's heart, man or woman. But we're going to talk about King David specifically because David is told in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. So as we've talked about this well-ordered heart, we looked at Colossians 3.17 and doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, waking up in the name of Jesus, greeting people in the name of Jesus, eating in the name of Jesus, driving, working. All of this should be a normal part of our life because we're no longer earthly. We're no longer citizens of the earth. We're citizens of the kingdom. Now, as citizens of the kingdom, we're called to be good citizens of the earth. We're called to be good citizens of Huron, South Dakota. We're called to be supportive of our, our elected officials. We're called to be praying for them. We're called to serve in our community. We're called to be a part of the community and of our nation. So I'm not saying we're not citizens of the earth. We're citizens of the kingdom which makes us better citizens of the earth. That's what this is. And then we talked about the unoffendable heart. Choosing to be unoffendable. Reminding us that our greatest struggle is never external. It's internal. It's not what happens to me, but how I respond to what happens to me. I may not respond perfectly, which means I need to repent, and I need to re-yield my life to the Lord. I need to acknowledge that I've done it wrong. I handled it wrong. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I'm not going to blame a circumstance. I'm going to accept responsibility for the wrong that I've done. And then I'm going to yield myself back to the Lord. Because Jesus himself told us in Luke chapter 6, 
A good man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, Jesus isn't saying that those of us who have put faith in God and the Holy Spirit lives in us have evil hearts. But you can be a believer and store up evil things in your heart. You can let bitterness creep in. You can think negative thoughts. You can think about all those things your spouse doesn't do right. You can think about all those things that your boss doesn't do right. You can think about all the... And you can store all that up in your heart. And then when you explode, guess why? Because that's what you stored up in your heart. As believers, we want to store up good things in our heart. We want to be like King David. King David was one of the best examples I believe we have in all of the scripture. God made a covenant with David and it's an everlasting covenant. Jesus himself came through the line of David. We're given the story of David starting in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and it runs all the way through the book of 1 Kings chapter 2. And I'd encourage you at some point over this week or in the weeks ahead, read the entire story of King David. We're going to try to hit points of it today and I'm going to try to cover as much as I can before I run out of time. But we're going to cover the life of King David. There's also the book of 1 Chronicles. Now understand, the book of 1 Samuel, which is actually just Samuel in the Bible, it just happened to be on two scrolls because the scroll wasn't long enough. We call it 1 and 2 Samuel, and we put it in our Bible, but it's just Samuel. And the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, just Kings. And then later on, after the Jews went into exile, and they come back. How many of you know hindsight is better than foresight, Right? Okay, so Chronicles, even though in our Bible, Chronicles is right after 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles should actually be at the end. That's really like the, the latest, one of the latest dated books we've got. So when they come back out of exile, they look back over their history and they write with the benefit of hindsight. So most of the story is the same, but as you read Chronicles, pay attention and, and, and understand that that was written with the benefit of hindsight. So there might be some things included in Chronicles that aren't included earlier that they're like, oh, ah, see? So read those, study the story of David. When we talk about King David, if I were to take a poll and say, hey, what do you think of when you think of King David? Boom, most, some people are going to be like, Goliath. Yeah, I think of David killing Goliath. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to understand David and Goliath. It's on sports. I mean, when there's like a, one team that's way better than the other, and it's like, I mean, we use the Cinderella story, but we also use, it's David and Goliath. It's like a known story. We also are very familiar with the story of Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. So it's like we know David for his finest hour and his not-so-finest hour. And so those are parts of the things. Maybe you're familiar with David running from King Saul. Maybe you're familiar with the, the fact that he played music well. Maybe you're familiar with the fact that um, David brought the Ark of the Covenant back in, and he's known for his extravagant dancing and worship as the Ark of the Covenant was coming back in. But ultimately... The Bible tells us in the Old Testament and New Testament what God thinks of David. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, God is speaking through the prophet Samuel to, to um, King Saul. Because Saul has been disobedient to God. He's not been a king after God's heart. So he tells him in 1 Samuel 13, 14, Your kingdom will not endure. 
The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is recounting the history of Israel to some Jews to try to, to share the gospel with them. And he picks up the story here in verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I mean, how would you love God to testify concerning you? I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I mean, wouldn't that be something? If God, hey, what's the testimony about so-and-so? They're a man, they're a woman after my heart. If all that could be said or done about us, man, that's a testimony I would hope all of us would want to have. And look at this, it goes on to say, he will do everything I want him to do. Now we know David didn't do it perfectly. I mean, we know the Bathsheba story. Not only did he commit adultery, but he tried to cover it up by killing her husband. And he, he tried to cover it up even further just by bringing her into the palace until he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. We know that he took a census against the will of God. We don't fully understand it. I don't have time to go into why I think that was a bad idea, but we know that that cost thousands of Israelites their lives because of David's mistake. David made many mistakes throughout the course of history. David, in a rage, wanted to kill Nadab. You remember that? Or Nabal wanted to kill him. And Nabal's wife, Abigail, comes out and intercedes on behalf. But David has the humility to admit he's wrong. And he even thanks Abigail for keeping him from doing something that he shouldn't have done. Because why? Because we're citizens of the kingdom. And David lived like nobody else. And the thing I think, I love David, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. David didn't. I mean, the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. In the Old Testament, I know the Holy Spirit came on some people. He was anointed to be king. But I believe because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you and I have an access to God that David did not have. And yet David lived like no other king, like no other Israelite, like no other person. He caught the heart of the kingdom of God like no one else. And he lived it out. Not perfectly, but he lived it out. And that's what we're going to be talking about as we go through the day today. David longed to see God's reign established on the earth. He longed to see it. And it wasn't based on his performance. But David's view of God, David's view of himself, David's view of others, and David's view of circumstances are what were molded in his heart. And so those are the four things that we're going to talk about as we go through the day today. We're going to talk about our view, David's view of God, David's view of himself, David's view of others, and David's view of his circumstances. And those should be the things that we want to catch so that when we live out our lives, not just like David, but ultimately like Jesus. Because Jesus comes in the line of King David, and Jesus is the perfect example that you and I follow even though David was a pretty good example for us to follow. So let's start with his view of God. David writes in Psalm 27, I could have written like a hundred different psalms up here or verses, but we don't have that kind of time. So Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him 
in his temple. David was a man before his time. This has always been the heart of God from beginning to end. He wants to dwell among his people. If you go to the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, or 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 6 and 7, God wants to dwell among his people. He wants to live among them. He wants to dwell among them. If you go to the book of Revelation, now the dwelling of God is among people. That's how the book of Revelation ends. David caught that when no one else was catching it. God wants to dwell among his people. And that was the cry of David's heart. Again, many failures, many mistakes, but he kept coming back to that idea of dwelling in God's temple. At the lowest points of David's life, he learned to cry out to God. So when David realized the ark of God, which represented the presence of God, was off somewhere other than in Jerusalem, other than where David, David was. David wanted to bring it back. And if you know the story, they tried to bring it back in their own way. They didn't follow the law of God, and it didn't go well, especially for Uzzah. So David comes back. He scours the scriptures. He learns what he did wrong, and he repents, and then he brings the Ark of the Covenant back. And it tells us this in 2 Samuel chapter 6. King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom where the ark was and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to bring the ark of the God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Verse 15, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, David was passionate about the presence of God, and he was exuberant in, the, in this moment. And I've, I've heard people preach sermons that we should worship like David. We should dance, we should leap, we should shout. But I know we're here in the Midwest. I know, I know. But here's, here's what I think. You should be as excited about your worship of God as you are about anything else. So if you walk into a store and something is on sale and you're like, yes, then that's as loud as your worship needs to be. If you watch a sporting event and you're like, yes, okay, that's the, that is the level. But if you are louder somewhere else, stretch yourself because God should be the thing we're most passionate about. And there's a time to be loud. There's a time to be quiet. I get it. And David's worship, by the way, is not just about singing songs and dancing. It's about doing everything the Lord tells him to do. Because I meet a lot of people that are really loud in worship, but they live their lives out there not doing what the Lord's telling them to do. And so it's not just about exuberance in worship. It's really about a heart that's totally God's, where we just get so wrapped up in who he is that whether we're worshiping in this room and singing songs or whether we're worshiping out there by treating people kindly or whether we're out there doing what he asks us to do, whatever it is, it's all worship and it's all exuberant. Acts chapter 13 more about David verse 36 when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. 
He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Now, you might think that's a little odd, but Paul is going on to talk about Jesus and how David was a good example, but Jesus is the perfect example because his body didn't decay. So that seems a little morbid. But the point that Paul is making is God, David served God's purpose. Now, that can be twisted to make it sound like God manipulated David to serve a purpose, but David willingly served God's purpose is what Paul is saying. David was a man after God's heart. Whatever God wanted accomplished, David did it. And when he made mistakes, Psalm 51 talks about the mistakes. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now David knows he sinned against Bathsheba. He knows he sinned against Uriah. But what he cares about most is not being separated from God. When Nathan the prophet comes to David and points out his sin, David doesn't act like Saul. Saul tried to make excuses. Saul tried to save face. Don't, don't make, just come back and honor me, Samuel. Honor me in front of the people. I don't want people to know. I don't want people to think bad about me. David's like, I don't care what people think about me. I want to know I'm right with God. By the way, you can't really be right with God unless you treat people right. David did both. Okay, so David just wasn't worried about his reputation. He left that in the hands of God, and he wanted to know he was in right standing with the Lord. One last thing about David and his relationship with God, his view of God, is David learned to inquire of the Lord. When David was on the run for his life with, from King Saul, 1 Samuel 22 tells us the story. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him, for David. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. The first place David goes when he's on the run is to the priest. And he asks the priest to inquire of the Lord for him. You will find over and over in the story of David, David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. He actually went into a battle at one point against an enemy, and he inquired of the Lord, how should we go? And on day one of the battle, they did that. On day two of the battle, David inquired of the Lord. He never assumed he knew what to do. He always, in, his heart was always positioned to hear the Lord. He never presumed. Okay, take that back. <laughs> when he presumed, he repented. Because <laughs> there were times he presumed. He wasn't perfect. But David wanted to know that he was doing what God wanted. He wanted to serve the purposes of God. So David's view of God, that's number one. Number two, David's view of himself. David's view of himself. David was content to serve God faithfully in obscurity. Remember back in Bethlehem, David is out serving with the sheep. David is protecting those sheep. He's risking his life, killing a bear, killing a lion to protect the sheep because David is all in. Whether the job is little or the job is big. There are some Christians, they're like, well, when I get promoted or when I get the, what I deserve or when I get the position in ministry that I want, then I'm going to serve God. I, early on, I had a mentor that said, if you don't preach to a room that's half empty, like it's full, or if you don't preach to a small crowd like you would to a big crowd, you'll never get a big crowd because God won't trust you with it. Now, unfortunately, that's not true because there are people that preach to big crowds that have big falls because they didn't develop the type of character they needed to be able to keep it when they got the promotion that God gave them. David was faithful in anything that God put him in. He didn't care where it was. He served God. His reputation didn't matter to him. His, his, his right standing with God was all David cared about. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, 
It says to David, when he finds out that Saul, the king, wants David to marry um, his daughter, Michael, this is David's words. David said, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and I'm little known. David never got a big head. David never got this idea that he deserved more. He always had this view of himself that was humble. Now, humble doesn't mean I sit around and I talk about my weaknesses and my limitations and, oh, I'm, I'm no good, because this is the same David that went out onto the field with Goliath. Because David knew it wasn't about him at all. That guy was defying the armies of God, and I'm going out there in the name of God, and I am going to cut that guy's head off in the name of the Lord. Now, I wish I had time to explain that one, but I don't. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. This is the Lord speaking to Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. Because Paul had this weakness that we debate what it was, this thing that he just couldn't get rid of, and he wanted God, take it away, take it away, I'm tired of it. And God's like, no, I'm not going to take it away because my power is perfected in your weakness. I'm going to pick on my wife for a second because she's not in the room and I didn't ask her permission, so maybe I'll owe her some money after this. Uh, I never use my family's illustrations unless I ask their permission because um, they, I, I just don't like to because it's bad and uh, I offer to pay them money if I do and Micaiah's here so she's going to tell on me. But here's the thing. Christy will tell you, she said it over and over at camp, um, she is not wired to be a camp director. It's not her personality. It's not what she does. Um, but she does it so well. Um, she is, camp is always amazing. Um, and, but when she's in the midst of it, all she can think about is her limitations and somebody could do this better. But here's the thing. If God taps you on the shoulder and says, do something that you feel unqualified for, just do it. Just do it. Because he's going to give you what you need or he's going to bring people around you to be what you need. A lot of times people will step into something that they, they don't have the ability to do, but they won't let a team help them. They won't surround themselves with the right kind of people. We have surrounded her with what she needs, but often through the week, she will, out of frustration, just voice that, I'm not, I, I can't do this. this. I'm not even qualified to do this. And we will surround her and remind her that God tapped her on the shoulder for this. She's the right person at the right time to be in that position. And God uses her, and we see it in her weakness. Now, we don't like our weaknesses to be on display. We like to appear strong to people, but I pray promise you the way the kingdom works is we have got to be willing to let God use us in our weaknesses. We keep a, we keep a, a smaller head. We don't let our head get too big. We don't get too big for our britches, but neither do we have this false humility that's always putting ourselves down. Oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I can't do anything right. False. God has given you everything you need. And if you don't have what you need, then you need to get someone in your life that has it and surround yourself with the people that are going to help you carry whatever you need to carry. But as nice Americans, we don't like to ask for help because we're self-made people. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. False. That's not the kingdom. That's earthly. God actually puts us in situations where we need help because he wants us to rely on each other. He wants us to need each other because he wants us to live in community. Amen. That's great preaching, Pastor Tom. Keep that up. Psalm 17. David knew what God thought of him. Look at this. Psalm 17, 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. 
Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 18. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Verse 35. You make your saving help my shield and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. Now, see, that sounds like a very proud idea. God delights in me. Oh, God has made me great. But understand, when God makes a covenant with David and says, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you and your family, David is like, who am I that you are so mindful of me? David didn't understand why God delighted in him, but he knew God did. That's the difference. It's not arrogance when, you under, when you're like, I don't know why God does, but I'm fully convinced he does. That's where you and I need to be. That type of view of ourselves because God delights in us. Zephaniah tells us he rejoices over you with singing. That's you plural, by the way. Over us with singing and dancing. God loves us. He rejoices in us. Number three, David's view of others. David's view of others. Oh, I love this one. Psalm 16. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Again, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We all know that verse, but understand this. The world are the irritating people too. They're even the people that are thumbing their nose at God right now. Yeah, he so loves them. And he wants us to show them the same mercy, grace, and love that he extended to us. And while we were his enemies, he demonstrated his love by giving up his life for us. We've talked about this over and over here at Restoration Church, laying down our life, giving up our rights. This is David. David did this so well in a time that was before his time. It's before the age of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that we know today. But David did it. David served under King Saul. He was an older king who mistreated and abused David. And yet David would not take matters into his own hand and take Saul's life. Even when he was anointed to be the next king, David would not do it. He would not dishonor the king in any way. He did one time cut off the king's robe. He cut off one of the tassels of his robe to make his robe impure and to prove that he could have killed Saul. And then David repented even of that. Who am I, he says, to touch the king? Even though the king is throwing spears at his head. David's like, who am I? David fully entrusted himself to the Father. Now, I get it. In our day and age, we think we need to stand up for ourselves and fight for ourselves. And I, I'll say it again. If you're in a situation where you're being abused or mistreated by a parent or by a, a spouse, never, never, never should you stay in that. Never. There are, are things in our, in our culture, in our laws, that are there to protect you, and you should take those rights and protect yourself. You never need to put yourself in that situation. But as believers, we are called to be willing to lay down our lives, to allow maybe some verbal spears to be thrown at our head, to maybe give up some rights that we would prefer to have, but if it's going to bring someone into the kingdom, may I never eat meat again, Paul says. 
David understood it. When David's own son tried to rise up and take the throne from him, David left. David left. And he's, David's idea was, if God's done with me on the throne, he, then I'm done. I'll walk away. And if he wants Absalom to be king, let him let Absalom. But God is going to deal with Absalom and not me. David was a man after God's own heart. And he took it from both ends, the older and the younger. Boom. 2 Samuel chapter 9, after Saul and all of Saul's family have passed away. And the next king, earthly king, is supposed to kill all the descendants so no one else has a throne. They can't come and take the throne from you. That's what you're supposed to do as an earthly king. You don't want anyone else to have a claim to the throne. You're the new king. But look at David. David says, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David, what are you doing? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a crippled son of Jonathan that the king brings into his house and look at verse 11. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's son. You don't do that. You don't, as the king, you don't bring a crippled to your table. I mean, remember when Jesus came and he ate with tax collectors and sinners? He touched lepers. He did all those things that earthly people weren't supposed to do. You're supposed to separate yourself from those people. Look at David doing the exact same thing. Catching what the kingdom is all about. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, as David is on the run from Absalom, I love this story. As King David approached Bahurim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. Remember, he's on the run. He's given up the throne. Absalom is now taken over. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed David as he came out. Verse 6, he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, <laughs> though all the troops and the special guards were at David's right and left. I mean, this guy has got Man, he has got some courage. He is coming out cursing David, throwing stones at him. As he cursed, he said, Get out! Get out, you murderer! You scoundrel! The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you're a murderer. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. And David says, don't you dare. Maybe God sent him. Maybe God is done with me. But leave him alone. I don't know about you. That's just not how kings reply. Not kings with a full armed guard going with them. But there's something in the heart of David that causes him to respond like nobody else, to see the value even in a dead dog who's cursing him and pelting him with stones. Most of us in the church today can't even take a verbal assault from the left or the right, whichever side we're on. We can't even take it when someone puts something on Facebook or someone says something about us behind our back. That's enough to set us off. And look at David being pelted with stones and cursed. So David's restored to his throne. And he's coming back into Jerusalem. 
So probably Shammai did not get sent by God, right? 2 Samuel 19, when Shammai, son of Gerar, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king. He said, may my Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come and meet my Lord the king. Then Abishai, son of Zariah, said, shouldn't Shammai be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. Because remember, David taught them. He taught them, don't kill Saul. Remember Abishai standing over him? He's like, come on, David. Tell me, tell me, tell me. I'm going to run off. I'll put a spear right through him. The Lord put him into a deep sleep. Tell me. And David's like, no, we don't touch the Lord's anointed. So they've learned the lesson from David. And David, so he's like, shouldn't he be put to death? He touched the Lord's anointed. And look what David says. What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zariah? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know today that I am king? I know I'm king. I don't need to kill him to prove that I'm, I don't need to put him down. So the king says to Shammai, you shall not die. And the king promised him on an oath. We are called to treat others the way Christ treated us. The scripture says Jesus came as a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. What that means is you can draw a line all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because I, I admit to you, there are some confusing verses in the Old Testament that even today I don't know what to do with. Because they don't seem to fit the character and nature of God that runs through the entire book. When you start in the book of Genesis and you run through Abraham and you run through the patriarchs and you run through David and then you run through the prophets and you run through uh, Jesus and then you run all the way to the end of the book, there are some things that still I don't understand. But I have watched people take things out of context in the Old Testament and you twist them to make them mean something. In fact, just this week, and I, I, I saw a post by a friend of mine that none of you know, and he's a friend that from way back, so there's no chance that he's even watching today, but maybe he is. Taking a, 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 a Psalm of David to say, hey, the president has COVID, our prayers are working, keep praying. Can I tell you that doesn't fit the narrative of Scripture? That does not fit what the heart of David was. You cannot take things out of the context that they are in, the entire Scripture, the narrative of Scripture, and twist them and use them however we want. We've got to put them alongside of these verses. Proverbs 24, 17. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? We bring it all the way into the New Testament with Jesus. He says in chapter 5 of Matthew, But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Luke goes on to tell us, do good to those who hate us in Luke chapter 6, because God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Literally, the word vile. God is kind to the vile. I know there's going to come a day where every knee will bow before Jesus, but even on that day, he will not rejoice at those who did not bow before him. He will never rejoice in that. 1 Samuel chapter 30. One last thing about David, understanding of people. 
David understood kingdom community like nobody else in his day. In verse 21 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him. Okay, so they're, they're on the run and they're, they're chasing after the, the, the people that have stolen their wives and all of their people and all their plunder. And there's 200 people that are too exhausted to go with them. So David just leaves them with the stuff and he leaves them behind. And they were left at the Besor Valley. They came out to meet David on their way back and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. <laughs> they just went into battle, and David's worried about the 200 that were too exhausted and how they're doing. But all the evil men and the troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, no, my brothers. You must not do that with what the Lord has given us. Oh, but we fought that battle. <laughs> the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of who went down to battle. All will share alike. David made this a statute and an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. See, sometimes we get to this place where we think we don't deserve something. Well, you know, I didn't do as much as so-and-so. So we get this at Royal Family Kids Camp. This is a great example this week because there are people that come out to serve in the kitchen, like maybe for a day or for two days, or they come out for one of the evening events and they serve. There are people that say, man, I, I wish I could come, and they, they pray while they're here. Some people, when we first get back, they don't want Christy to have to do anything, and so they, they bring meals to our house. They, there are people, I tell you, that all year long, there are people doing little things. And sometimes those people who do little things say, you know, but I don't, I don't do what you guys do. But I... I tell the staff all week long because staff serve at camp and they don't get to interact with the, the campers like the guides do. The guides spend every minute with them. And when the kids leave camp, the only people they remember are the guides. <laughs> they don't remember my name. They don't remember other people's names, but they remember their guide. But here's the thing. The guides need us because the only way the guides can do what they do is because everybody else does what they do. That's the kingdom. And the kingdom says, no matter what part of the body you are, you are vital. And if you don't feel vital, you're vital. You're necessary. You're needed. And David understood that. So if you think you're better than others, you're not. If you don't think you're as important as others, you are. Whichever side of the, the aisle you're on on that one, it's all, all for one in the kingdom. And David caught that all the way back in the Old Testament. I love it. Number four, the last one, is David's view of circumstances. Not only David's view of God, David's view of himself, David's view of others, but David's view of circumstances. There are so many psalms that express anguish and pain and heartache. And David, over and over, says like he does in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. <laughs> the same guy who was on the run for his life for three years said the Lord saved him out of all his troubles. Not from all of his troubles, out of all of his troubles. 
The Lord of the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. David didn't understand why things went the way they did, but David trusted God in the midst of all of it. David learned that his character was being forged, that God was working for his good. All of the things that were told in the New Testament, somehow David understood in his heart, even in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, right before David, the story we just read about the guys with the stuff, before all of that happened, This is the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. All of the men that were with him got to the point where they were fed up and they were ready to stone David. And David didn't stand up and say, I gave you guys a a chance. Who do you think you are? I'm anointed to be king. What does David do? Each one, it says, was bitter in their spirit because of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. There are going to come times in all of our lives where it's going to feel like we're alone. Usually, it's just our own perspective where we feel like we're alone. Maybe somebody has let us down. Maybe someone's having a bad day. They're bitter in spirit and they've responded to us in a way that causes us to want to throw up our hands and be like, why even try? Nobody cares. I'm all alone. I don't even know why I serve God. Everybody, it's easy to fall into that trap. Trust me. It's easy to fall into that trap. We have got to become a people that learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord to learn the kinds of things that David learned in Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him, before I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. But David over and over repeats, but I find my strength in the Lord. I don't become bitter at people. Remember, I keep a good view of people. I keep a good view of myself. I've got a good view of God. And it enables me to have a good view of my circumstance. My circumstance. David learned these things in the Old Testament. We're taught these things in the New Testament. Here's a a collection of scriptures. And I know I've overwhelmed you with scripture verses today. Humor me for just a few more. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Psalm 31, into your hands, Jesus quotes this psalm that David wrote, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. 1 Peter talking about Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Romans chapter 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
I'm not going to tell you that there's never a time that you should stand up and speak up for yourself or defend yourself, but we've become a culture that that's every time. Every time we defend ourselves, every time we defend our rights, every time we fight back, every time, every time. And some of us are confused because some of us are acting and being discipled by our favorite celebrities, by our favorite politicians, by our favorite uh, podcast hosts, even by our favorite pastors. And we're not actually living like Jesus. We're living by what other people are doing. When the Apostle Paul said, follow me, as I follow Christ, let's be sure whoever we're being discipled by or emulating is someone that's following Christ in that moment. They may be getting everything else right, but that doesn't mean they're getting that right. So we don't pattern our lives after them. We pattern our lives after Jesus. And for those of us that live in this day and age, we live in an age where it seems like everybody's at each other's throats, everybody's going against us. In a time when King David did not have the Spirit of God in the same manner that you and I do. In a time when Jesus had yet not died to make access to God as available to us as it was. David lived like nobody else. My challenge to us today is, let's do the same. Let's live like nobody else. Let's not live like men and women of the earth. Let's not respond. When people are pelting us with stones, let's not respond like they expect us to respond. Let's not fight fire with fire. Let's overcome evil with good. Let's be willing to lay down our lives with a right view of God, a right view of ourselves, a right view of others, and a right view of our circumstances. Fully trusting that God holds us in the palm of his hand, that God is always working for our good. And next week, as we switch and transition into this idea of endurance, we're going to really start to pick up right where we left off here. Because this is going to be tough. And not one of us is going to walk out of here today and do this perfectly. But when, when we fail, let's just get back up, acknowledge it before God. God, I have no business acting like that. I have no business letting that type of behavior out of my life. Give me grace, give me strength to be different, to come out and be separate from the world. Not just from the worldly ways, but from the earthly ones too. And so, Father, thank you for never treating us as our sins have deserved. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth as the perfect fulfillment of the kingdom of God, the perfect fulfillment of what citizens of the kingdom are to be, Thank you for for taking our place on the cross, for bearing our cross and our shame and our guilt. Thank you for sending your spirit to empower us so that we can follow in your steps. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We live in a day and age where it feels like the gloves have come off. There's chaos all around us. There's hatred There's venom being spewed. There's bitterness. There's rage. There's anger. And yet your word tells us those have no place in our lives. And so Holy Spirit, enable us to put on faithfulness and kindness and goodness and joy and peace and love. Give us the grace to maintain a right view of you, to be passionate for you, to trust you, to yield to you. God, to not live in the pattern of this world in the pattern of earth, but in the pattern of your kingdom. 
Help us to have a good view of ourselves. God, walking in humility, understanding our limitations and weaknesses, but never dwelling on them. Knowing that you are more than able to call us to step out into a weak area, knowing that you're going to equip us and empower us and help us to get better at asking for help. Help us to get better at opening up and telling others where we're weak, where we're insecure, where we need someone to come alongside of us and serve and help us, where we need them to carry us. Help us to be willing to say, I need to stay by the stuff for a while. I'm tired. Help us not to be afraid of saying no. Help us not to live with a view of ourselves in a way that needs to please others. Help us to be willing to run that risk. And God, help us to live with the view of others in a way that empowers other people to say no. So that we're a congregation where people are allowed to admit where they're weak, where people are allowed to admit when they're tired, when people are allowed to admit that they're in despair, where people are allowed to admit that they're, they're angry. And God, that we just walk with them in those moments. That we don't always have to point out where everyone's wrong. God, sometimes we just help carry their burden because they can't carry it alone. Keep that view of others in the right perspective. And God, help us to keep a right view of our circumstances, <laughs> trusting that you are always working for our good. Not everything in our lives will be good, but you will always be working for our good. Help us to be able to respond to every moment to every person with strength, with peace, with kindness, knowing that you're at work in our lives and in theirs. And so Holy Spirit, take these things that King David learned so well and work them into our hearts over these next few weeks. Work them deep into our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to call you back to the story of King David, 1 Kings. Starts in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and goes through 1 Kings. I'd encourage you, read the story of David. Marinate on it over these next few weeks and let the Holy Spirit just draw some things out of there for us as we shift gears from the well-ordered heart into the life of endurance. Thanks for being here today. Um, if you have prayer needs or you didn't get a chance to be prayed for or share, I'll be available after the service here in just a minute. Um, don't forget to stop by the table in the back. Offering baskets are there. Any information about our church, connect cards, things that you need to pick up. God bless you as you go.